Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here. Welcome to You Online. We're welcoming you. Uh, all of our campuses, if you're on the line right now because you were going to go to church and it was raining, um, this sermon's for you. Okay. We're going to talk about the mouth. We're going to talk about complaining. We're in this series about the mouth because the Bible says the tongue has the power of life and death. I mean, it really is that big of a deal. How, how, we, how we use our words can really have the power of life and death. And we know that, yet most of us could probably, okay, this might just be for me, this whole series, but most of us, I think, could probably use a little help with this. And let's just start with complaining, okay? I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty easy place for us to start, I'm pretty sure, because I'm good at it. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at it. What is it that you complain about the most? Just think about it and be honest. Don't nudge anybody next to you. Just, just think about it for a second. I mean, it's tax day, you know? So there's that, okay? It's, you know, we got bills, we got, we got your job, your kids, your relationship, whatever it is. Do you, as a single person, complain because you're not married? Or did you just then, every married person in the room listening to me, go, oh, yeah, I remember those days and kind of have a little smile on your face? And now you're sitting very still because you're hoping that your spouse is not realizing that you're smiling. I, I, know, I know what's happening, okay? I, I asked myself, and uh, I'm good at complaining, okay? I'm just going to tell you. Stuff I need to get done probably is my number one. Um, aches and pains because I've got them and I'm old and, you know, that's what old people do is we talk about aches and pains. Uh, people driving slow in the left lane on the interstate is always one of my go-tos. And living in Illinois, as you well know, probably number one on my list. I mean, we, th th those are the things I, I complain about. And let me just say right up front, there are bigger things, okay? There are deeper things. Uh, the, the, the fact that, I, that we would complain about the weather in April um, helps us to understand that, you know, probably it's good that we don't have bigger problems because we, would, we re really wouldn't care about the weather in April if we had bigger things going on. And let me just get this uh, for you up front. The problem is not in the stuff. The problem is us. Okay, that's going to be true in everything that we talk about with this series, uh, My Big Fat Mouth. And by the way, we got this from Life Church, Craig Groeschel in Oklahoma. Um, just a great, great thing for us to stop and talk about for a while. Sam Ocho last weekend, if you didn't get a chance to see him. Um, I mean, we're, the whole thing with racial reconciliation, and it was the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination, 50th anniversary. So I wanted to have somebody to talk about. And he had such a great perspective because he grew up in a Nigerian high household, and then he was uh, one of the only black kids in an all-white school, but he went to church in a mostly African-American church. He had all his perspectives, and they're working on how to solve the future. And that's why I wanted you to meet him, especially because he and the owner of the Bears, George McCaskey, are working on it together. Uh, you know, the older white guy and him are working on this together. Uh, we did hashtag up to us. That's what we're uh, kind of leaning into right now. It's up to us to solve the problem. I've already heard some great stories. I want to hear some more. My favorite story from this week was a couple went to a bar to eat dinner afterwards. Uh, you know, went to a restaurant and just went up to the bar and ate after the Saturday night service and uh, a, a different racial couple came up and sat next to them at the bar. And, and instead of leaving when they were done, they, they hung around a little bit and they struck up a conversation and they took it to the next level. Okay, this is what's so great about this, this, this story. They decided to take a chance and say, hey, you, you know, you ever want to get together again sometime? Let's exchange numbers. 
So they did. They exchanged phone numbers with this couple that they'd never met before from a different racial background. And, and through a series of circumstances, the, the woman found out about a book about racial reconciliation. She decided to order it. And then she thought, well, I wonder if they would read it too and we could all talk about it together. And so she called them and they said, yeah, let's do that. And so they're both reading a book on racial reconciliation and they're going to get back together and they're going to talk about it. It's just that little extra step is what it's going to take for us to to get over some of these problems. But the reason I bring up Sam is because it was cracking me up listening to Sam talk about the NFL contract that he's had or not had for seven years. He's been in in the NFL for seven years with the Cardinals and and then the Bears and didn't have a real contract. He was on a minimum contract. And, And as a football player who gets to play in the NFL, he's thinking to himself, when am I going to get the good contract, right? Most of the guys, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like, everybody I know that played football would pay their own money to get to play in the NFL for seven years, right? But that's the perspective. It's always about there's something else I need. And the great part of his story, if you didn't hear it, was when he finally let go of that and let God have it, that's when the contract came and he is now signed for two years with the greatest football team in America. Can I get an amen from you? Okay. So that's, that's really, really fun. I mean, but, but it, took, it, it, you know, it took him to stop complaining and trusting in God. Uh, so the, the, the text that we're going to use today is the ultimate irony in complaining when you hear it. But first, a sad story. I read about this guy who joined a monastery, um, a Trappist monastery, where they're not able to, to talk. He thought that would be good for him and his faith. He felt like that was where God wanted him to go. So when you join these monasteries, you're on a three-year probation. And, and, and the three-year probation for a new guy is you get to say two words at the end of every year. That's it. No other communication. End of the first year, the guy said, bed hard. End of the second year, he said, food cold. End of the third year, he's like, he's done with it. He says, comes in, he says, I quit. Head priest says, doesn't surprise me. All you've done is complain since you got here. Uh, The Apostle Paul started out as Saul. If you don't know this story, he started out as a persecutor of Christians. He's a Jew. He's a highly educated Jew. He's a Roman citizen. I mean, he's like a big dog in Judaism, and he does not like Christians. And we know that he is out persecuting Christians because we know that he was at the the murder of the first Christian, the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Paul was there. He was Saul at the time, holding the coats of the guys who were throwing rocks at Stephen and killing the very first Christian. Mark. But the resurrected Jesus shows up one day while Paul is riding his horse. Paul's on his way to go arrest somebody, kill somebody for, for following Christ. And Jesus shows up. And the Bible just tells us it's a vision, you know, like, like this blinded light knocks, knocks me off the horse. But I think Jesus pushed him. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just really believe it was a big light. And Jesus just went, boom, and knocked him off his horse and said, dude, why are you persecuting me? Knock it off. I want you to serve me. And so he did. I mean, that was his story. <laughs> That's not probably anybody else's story listening to me right now. But he's like, hate Christians. Jesus knocks him off his horse. Now he's going to serve Jesus. And as often happens, those who are farthest from Jesus in their life often become the strongest witnesses for Jesus after they figure it out. Okay. So, but he's still a Jew and he still has a deep passion for his Jewish brothers and sisters because they're supposed to know about the Messiah. 
And he now realizes that all that, all that stuff about crucifying Jesus because he was a false messiah was wrong. Jesus is real. So he wants his Jewish brothers and sisters, he wants them to come to, to, to Jesus. He wants to, you know, he's like, he's got the answer and he wants to tell everybody. And he has the, the credentials, he's got the street cred to, to tell people because they would listen to him because he used to be one of them. And he also knows that if he can get to Rome, which is the center of the universe at that point, if he can get to Rome and preach there and tell people and teach people, he has a chance to do big, amazing things for God. And at this point, that's what he wants to do. He's excited. So where we pick up today, he's in Rome, but he's in jail. He's chained up in jail. We know he's there for two years. We know he's awaiting execution. Most scholars believe he was executed not long after this. We, we don't really know all the rest of the history. So before we talk about what he says about my big fat mouth, I wanted you to understand the context of my big fat mouth. Because for me, if I'm in this situation, I'm going to be tempted to complain to God. Aren't you? Okay, God... This isn't fair. I mean, you knocked me off my horse. You made me serve you. I've been faithful, and, and, and you know, I'm in jail. I can't do what you've called me to do. What, what's going on? I know that I would have done that because I did do that. When, I, when we moved here in 1990 and we wanted to spread the love of Jesus to Chicagoland, it just didn't go very well at first. I wasn't in jail, but it felt like it, and we just couldn't get traction on the things that we were trying to do. And I kept going, I'd go into the sanctuary, I'd sit on the front row, I'd just lay down on the front row. I said, God, what is the deal? I'm trying to serve you here. It feels like I'm in jail. Can't, can't do, uh, we can't do what we know we need to do to turn this ship around and, and start finding your lost sheep. What is, what is the problem? And God would tell you that I complained a, a bit. My wife would tell you that I complained a bit. And my, my friends, some of you that are in here that were a part of that, you would know. You, you would say, yeah, yeah, he complained. He was, I, I'm, I'm a real type A person, so if it's not going my way, you're going to hear about it. We kept, I kept it from my kids, but, but pretty much everybody else, they got it. That's why I know that if I was the Apostle Paul... And I like literally had a vision of God knocking me down and saying, I want you to serve me. And I do. And it's always so stinking hard. I'm probably going to gripe. You with me? I mean, what you may not know is Paul's already been shipwrecked several times. He's already been beaten and left for dead. Several times he's been arrested and imprisoned. Many, many times nothing has been easy. And I would be like, what gives God? What, what is the deal? All I've done is serve you. I've gotten to the strategic city. You're the God of this city. And I can make a difference here, except I'm chained up to some Roman guard in this prison. And the floor is hard and the food is bad. And this guy needs a shower and come on. But instead of complaining, where we find Paul today, this is very hard for me to preach, okay? Where we find Paul today He's writing a letter to one of the churches he started in Philippi, and here's what he says. That's your context. Do everything without complaining. I mean, he's only got, you know, his one hand's chained up, and the other one's there, and he's sitting on a hard floor, and he's got no food. Do everything without complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, we'll go through this. That's Philippians 2 if you want to look on your own phone or whatever you got. But, but there, um, there are a lot of spiritual reasons why we should live without complaining. But there are also a lot of practical reasons why we should stop complaining. Dr. Travis Bradbury wrote Emotional Intelligence 2.0, great book about this, and all the emotional intelligence stuff is fantastic. And he's done a lot of research on complaining. And here's what he said. Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. <laughs> right? You can say amen and pretend it's about you and not your spouse. Go ahead, say it. Amen. Okay? Over time, you find it's easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's happening around you. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. This is, I mean, anybody could have written that. It's so obvious. It's so true. But this guy did psychological research and said it's absolutely true. In other words, the longer you choose to live in the negativity, according to Dr. Bradbury and Jesus and Paul in the Bible, the longer you decide to live in it, the harder it's going to be to get out. All right? We all have like negative thoughts about things that cause us to have negative reactions to those things. I'm just going to be honest. Mine is musicals. Okay? I don't need any more musicals in my life. My, I was in some. My sister was in all of them. Uh, my, my daughters were all in them. And, and I just have a predisposition towards not liking musicals, okay? I feel like at musicals, I want to say what my, my middle daughter says to our two-year-old granddaughter when she's whining. Just use your words. You don't have to sing them, just use your words, okay? Sing talking, just, just not my deal, okay? But I had people that I respect um, tell me that uh, The Greatest Showman was really good and I ought to watch it. So I rented it this week, and you know what? I went in with a good predisposition, and it's really good. I had the same thing happen with Hamilton. I'm like, how can we wrap American history? This doesn't make any sense. And then I saw it, uh, and it was really, really good. Now I saw West Side Story on Broadway. Nah, I'm sorry. Um, didn't go well because I had a bad attitude going in at that point, and, and I knew, you know, sing talking was one thing, but dance fighting—that's way over the line. That—that that is ridiculous. We're not doing that, okay? What I'm saying is how you go in, what attitude you go in with is, is going to really help figure out how you're going to come out. <laughs> Tony Campolo told a story about two boys in a family uh, years ago. One was really just naturally negative and one of them was naturally positive. And that's just who they are, and we get that. Some of us are just bent one way or the other. So for Christmas one year, the parents decided to, to try to even it out. Okay? So the negative boy, they got him everything he wanted. He got a new bike, he got a new TV, he got a new PlayStation. The really obnoxiously positive boy, they got a box of horse manure. It's not my story. I'm not saying it with their good parents. I'm just, it's just an <laughs> illustration. Okay? So Christmas morning, the negative kid opens his stuff and he's like, oh, great, a new bike. I'll probably get hit by a car. Oh, a new TV, but it's not curved. A new PlayStation, but no VR, you know, just, that's just kind of who he was. The positive boy opens up his present of horse manure. He takes one look in and he says, do you see what I got? Do you see what I got? There's got to be a pony out there somewhere. <laughs> Some of us are just 
you know, predisposed to go one way or the other, but we can all decide what we're going to do. And, and what Bradbury's talking about and what Paul is trying to write about is a complaining culture. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you work there, or maybe you've got friends that are that. There's just this complaining culture. In the Bible, when I think about complaining culture, I go back to the children of Israel. When they're in captivity and they're slaves for hundreds of years, and what do they do? They complain. I mean, I, and I get it. It's legit. They complain and they complain. And finally God goes, okay, I heard you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out of here. He sends Moses. He starts doing miracles, right? Ten plagues. Gets them out of there. Oh, there's the Red Sea. All parted. Boom. Oh, here come the, the Egyptian soldiers. Oh, boom. I'll drown them. It's all good. Oh, well, we're not sure we can go into the promised land. Okay, your punishment is for complaining. You're going to spend 40 years in the desert. Oh, and there's no food out here. Oh, well, I'll send some food down from heaven. Oh, there's no water. I'll send some water from a rock. And they never, ever learn. So, so when you get, they're out in the desert, okay, wandering around. Now listen, this is, this is Exodus 14. And for those of you who are old enough to remember Doug and Wendy Weiner from Saturday Night Live, you have to use this voice. Oh, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. <laughs> and if I'm Moses, I'm going to say, no, you didn't say let us die in Egypt. You said, oh, why are we in Egypt? These people are so mean. But, but you see, what happens is when you're complaining culture, if that's your, if that's your bent, if that's what you guys are all going to, and, and the bigger the crowd is, the more that's going to happen. They were negative when they were in captivity, and then they were negative when they got out of captivity because of the culture of complaining. And Paul is not saying, no, don't worry, you know, just don't worry about your problems. It change your problems if you can. The, the rest of the story with Sam Acho and George McCaskey from the Bears is fantastic. I'm just loving that they're, they're not like, okay, what are we going to do about the national anthem? They're like, how do we deal with this problem? And I, I love McCaskey for jumping in on that. But, but here's what I am saying. If you don't have a choice in your situation, you still have a choice in your attitude. So Paul's chained up to a Roman soldier awaiting execution his dream is over here, you know, I want to I preach the gospel, but I'm locked up in prison. So here's what he says. Do everything without complaining. And then he goes on, he says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. It doesn't sound very joyful, does it? Pour it out as an offering. I'm going to die in here. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Pour it out like a liquid offering. Your Bible may say drink offering. What does that mean? Well, in, in the Old Testament, the, they would do a, a regular sacrifice, and then sometimes there was a drink offering or a liquid offering that was called for. So what they would do is they would take uh, their most precious liquid, whatever it was, probably wine, maybe honey, maybe a spice. Okay, Think about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with the alabaster jar. You, you, you can imagine uh, that when you have this fire going, there's already been sacrifices going on and you take something liquid and you pour it on the fire, there's going to be this sizzle and this smell and this smoke and this, this incense that's going to waft up to heaven. And that's how God told them to do it. 
pour out the drink offering right there on the fire. Some of you right now are thinking, now I know what to do with that apple cider vinegar. No. <laughs> now, that won't smell good even if you do that, okay? God doesn't want it. Here's what he's saying. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, yet will I rejoice. And it's important here because the verb is in present tense. This is not like even if I am going to die, even if I do die, he says, even if I am being poured out, even as my life is being poured out right now, which is literally what's going on, Paul says, I still think we should all rejoice. This is why he says other, in another place in his letter to the Romans, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship isn't something that we do at, just at church. It's how we live our life. And it doesn't matter whether we're preaching the gospel or we're chained up in a Roman prison. It, our life is an offering to God, and we pour it out. So, so, so let me put it back together. Do everything without complaining, he says. And then if I fast forward a little bit, he says, in this generation among whom you shine like stars in the world, okay? Pay attention to the stars. You shine like stars. How does a star shine? Well, I mean, I don't understand all of that, but what I do know is it doesn't shine in the daylight. Really hard to see one. This is the w wicked and depraved generation that we live in. What we're called to be are stars, are people that, that emit light in the middle of the darkness. And the darker the place is around you, the more your light is going to shine. And then he goes on, he says, I want all of you to share that same joy, because that's what the star is going to emit. It's going to be joy. It's going to be light. Yes, you should rejoice. I will share your joy, because I'm doing it, chained up to this garden prison. And if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. Here I am. I'm Timothy. How are you getting along? I mean, my parents named me for, for this guy he's talking about in the Bible, this guy who was an apprentice to Paul. I can be the same thing, right? I would love to go back to Paul. I would love to go back to Jesus and tell them how you and I are shining our lights in the dark world that we live in and not complaining. And that's who we want to be as a church, right? You've, you've been on the other side of that. Dr. Travis Bradbury, again, from Emotional Intelligence. Since human beings are inherently social, our brains naturally and unconsciously mimic the moods of those around us, particularly people we spend a great deal of time with. This process is called neuronal mirroring, and it's the basis for our, empathy, our, our ability to feel empathy, which is good. The flip side, however, he said, is it makes complaining a lot like smoking. This is so great. You don't have to do it yourself to suffer the ill effects of secondhand smoke. You need to be cautious, he said, about spending time with people who complain about everything. Complainers want people to join their pity party so they can feel better about themselves. Think of it this way. If a person was smoking, would you sit there all afternoon inhaling secondhand smoke? No. You distance yourself, and you should do the same thing with complainers. Wow. I mean, who wants to go to that church? Right? Maybe, maybe you've been there. 
Who, who, who wants to be around those people? Maybe you don't have any choice, and you're going to have to figure out how to shine light in the middle of it. But, but the way that we're going to be a light for Jesus is that all of us, and, and please understand that I know that you have bigger problems than I do. You've got A lot of you have got really huge stuff going on in your life right now, and you have a right to complain. You're chained up to a Roman soldier. You are in captivity in Egypt. You've got stuff going on, and you've got a right to complain. But the way that our church, the way that Christianity affects the, the universe now is by shining our stars in the middle of that light. How do, how do we do that? By not complaining. How is that possible? I love what Groeschel said about this. Paul was not the center of his own story. That's how it's possible. Groeschel said, if Jesus is the center of your story, and that was true for Paul, then you can take a negative circumstance, and Jesus can help you take a negative circumstance that's going on in your life and change your attitude about it in such a way that it can impact everyone else through the negative circumstance that you're having joy in. This is why Paul says, and don't miss the power of, of, of what he's saying here. He says, look, I'm chained up to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. That, that's a, that could be a bad deal, okay? But, but, the, but the, the true fact of the matter is that every eight hours they change guards. And, and here's what Paul says a couple of sentences before this in Philippians 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him? He's in prison on death row, chained up to a guard has actually served to advance the gospel. Actually served to advance the gospel. He goes on to say, as a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard. What has become clear? The gospel, the, the joy, the light of Jesus. All these soldiers know it. Everybody knows it. What he's saying is, you guys think I'm a prisoner here? Let me tell you who the real prisoner is. Every eight hours, the real prisoner gets chained to my arm and has to listen to me preach about Jesus for eight hours. I get fresh meat every eight hours. You see how that perspective shift happened in his mind? It's like, oh, I can choose whether I'm going to be a light for Jesus or I'm just going to be another bitter complainer. That's a, the difference between light and darkness, being a positive light uh, or, or just being dark like everybody else. Again, if you don't have a choice in your situation, you still have a choice in your attitude. Paul says, I know that God works all things for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. I know that. I know I'm chained to this Roman prisoner, the Roman guard, and I don't want to do that, but I'm going to make the best of it. And I want to ask you, what is that for you today? What is it that you're chained to? today? Who is it that you're chained to? Don't say it out loud. Maybe it's a who. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a situation that you know you are chained to. Maybe it is a financial problem. I mean, you know, tax time, and, and maybe it's even deeper than that. You, you don't know. You're in a hole that you don't know how you're going to get out of. Maybe it is a health issue. Interesting about Paul, I mean, the apostle Paul also has some kind of a health problem. We know this from studying his life. He has something he calls a thorn in the flesh. Seems like a health problem. We don't know what it is, eyesight, back, whatever. We don't have any idea. But he asks God to take it away, and he tells us in the Bible that God said, no, nah, I'm sorry, you're going to keep it. You're going to be chained to the Roman guard. You're going to have your, your health problem because my power will be perfected in your weakness. And because he knows this, 
Paul can keep being a light. He can keep doing something about it. Again, if you can pray, pray. If you can work it out, work it out. Get, get, get counseling, get wisdom, whatever you can do. But if you don't have a choice in the situation, you still have a choice in your attitude. So change the way you look at it, change the way you think about it, change the words that you speak about it. And rather than complaining about something you can't change, choose to see God's presence and his power in the middle of this thing that you never would have asked for. And you may wake up years from now and realize that it has served to be a light in the darkness that you didn't even know about. I love this phrase that Paul uses, even if, even if I'm being poured out, even if everything I wanted to accomplish doesn't come to pass, even if yet will I rejoice and I want you to rejoice and we're all going to share in each other's rejoicing. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of because that's the kind of church that can go reach the people who are hurting. In the middle of this situation, God is using me. He's working through me. He's still doing good. How do you do it? Remember that you're not the center of your story. Jesus is. And when Jesus is the center of your story, it'll change your attitude. You can endure in the middle of your darkest day. I will be a star in the middle of of the nine, or as Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God, I pray for us right now because I know there are people that are chained to some pretty rough stuff. And, and I, I, can stay, I can say even if I'm being poured out. I, I will praise you. But um, there's some people that are having a lot harder time than I am right now. And I know. And I pray for them. Because at some point, I know that you also give them that much more power and that much more strength. And, and that you are with them in a greater and deeper way. That the harder the chain is, the harder the situation they're chained to. So, Lord, even if yet will I rejoice. That is our prayer. Give us the strength to be the stars in this darkness. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.